Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Hey, hey. How's everyone? You know, that's the last time that you will see those two as single people because this week they get married. So that's, that's a fun time. They're actually marrying each other. They're not like marrying different people, just happen to be the same. No, they're actually marrying each other. I say it's the last time you'll see them single. If you come to Wednesday night prayer, you very possibly will see them again as single people, but that'll be the last, last time unless you help us set up. For, and anyway, we could keep on going. If you don't see them, if you see them before Friday night, you will, you will see them as single people because they get married Friday. Speaking about prayer, um, we are drilling down on our Wednesday night prayer meetings. I know some of you have come to those. Uh, we started those, those off in May, and we started by really taking a few minutes to share kind of the thought and the vision behind Wednesday night prayer. Um, but now we're just praying, like we're showing up. I've got about three or four minutes worth of just content, just my heart, and then we just dive down into it, and we have struck oil on Wednesday nights. And so it was super cool last week because at the end of prayer, I just, I just asked for people, hey, man, what did the Lord have you pray for? And uh, one person would say something, and about four or five other people were like, me too. Like the Lord was leading us together in unison on, in, the, in the area of prayer on various different topics. So super good time. So I encourage you, if you haven't come to prayer, come Wednesday night. It's, it's, it's a great time. We're in part two of the series who am I? Where we're getting the right answer to this question that we're all asking. Who am I really? Question mark, right? Who am I really? And today, I'm just going to start with a question. Have you ever struggled with this thought of, I'm just not good enough? I'm just not good enough. And I think we've all dealt with this to some degree or another at different places of our life. This thought of just not enough, right? I know for me, um, I've lost 20 pounds since January. A little provoked, a little unprovoked applause there. I've lost 20 pounds since January, so I'm feeling really good about myself. But there was a season when I wasn't, and I can tell you why. It was a couple of years ago. We were watching uh, a Marvel superhero movie. I think it was Thor. Okay, I know it was Thor. And here's how come I know. We were sitting in our living room watching this movie, and it was that scene in the very first Thor, for those of you who've seen it. Um, he comes walking into the kitchen with his shirt off. And Chris Hemsworth has done a few push-ups in his day and has done, I'm sure he's done some ab burner exercises because he had muscles falling out everywhere, all right? And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching him, and as I'm watching this whole scene, and he comes in, I think he even had a coffee cup or something, which just made him even look that much more hot. And I'm not, okay, never mind, moving right along, moving right along. So as he comes walking in with his coffee cup, I'm like, dude, that dude is jacked. And about that time, I look over at my daughter and my wife, and they're not saying anything. Their eyebrows are just like this high in the air, and they're like, they don't look at me, they don't look at each other, they just kind of, and, and I'm like, in that moment, I have never felt more insecure in my whole life. You know what I mean? I'm like, what is this? And so 
I'm like, what are you guys looking at? How come your eyebrows look like that? And then I just grab one of the couch cushions and I just put it over my big old gut. You know what I mean? And I'm like, wow. I didn't have anything to say. I just felt so insecure. I, I mean, in comparison to Chris Hemsworth, I don't feel good enough. You know what I mean? I don't feel worthy. And so we all struggle with this comparison issue, don't we? At some point in varying degrees. Like God passed us up on the gift mix. You know, there's nothing really extraordinary about me, which is not true, because God put greatness in every single one of us. You know, we ask ourselves, who, who am I when I'm comparing myself to others. Last week, we talked a little bit about insecurity. Well, insecurity and comparison are like two brothers that are living in the same house, all right? They're constantly rallying, you know, riling each other up. It just never works. They try to play together. It always ends up in a fight. They are toxic emotions. Both are challenging, and we want to talk about that today. And, you know, technology doesn't make it any better. We all have those parents and grandparents in our life that say the same thing, right? In my day, we walked uphill both ways to school, right? We've all heard this. In the snow in the middle of July, right? Like, how is it snowing and still blistering hot outside at the same time? Barefoot. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. Like, you had it rough. And they're like, I'm just saying kids have no idea what it was like back in my day. And I can honestly say this generation does have a very distinct difference. Because I believe technology has introduced a whole new level of comparison. I mean, today we're not just comparing ourselves to our neighbors or our coworkers. We're comparing our lives to the world, right? It is a global population, and sadly, it's not going away. And here's the thing. It's not technology's fault because it's something that's already on the inside of us. What someone's eating, where they're eating it at, right? I was on the other day, and I was like, oh, that looks really, really good. I'm a foodie, or at least aspire to be a foodie. I'm like, that looks really good. Oh, look, they're eating it on a boat. No, they're eating it on a yacht in the midst of the Iberian Peninsula somewhere, right? We're comparing ourselves to a global world, and we're constantly tempted to compare our lives with virtually unlimited possibilities out there. I want to talk about comparison today. Because the Bible actually has a lot to say about this topic. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit, Father. And Lord, in the topic of identity, God, our heart is, is that we would all know who we are in Christ. God, that we, would, we, we can move past this comparison thing. Sizing my life up with everyone else's life, Father. We know that your word has a lot to say. And Father, if you're going to move anything like you did last service, then we know people are going to be set free today. So Father, we lean into that. God, show us where we fit in your story. Show us the truth and allow the truth to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'd invite you to open your Bible to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. If you've got a mobile device, you can find the Bible app. In the Bible app, our notes are there. If you've got the version uh, version of the Bible app, you can track right along with me. And here's the thing, a little disclaimer here. If you struggle with the story of creation, you're okay. If you struggle with God, if you struggle with this eternity thing, you don't have to have the whole thing figured out to get something from this story. I really believe this is a story about human nature. We're familiar with the first story in the Bible. It's God created the heavens and the earth, okay? He put Adam and Eve in the midst of this garden, in the center of the garden. There were these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat from that tree, and of course they did. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Have you ever had that moment when you realized you were naked? <laughs> so I love to tell this story, and I, and I especially love it when my brother's in the room, which he was last service, so it was super funny to me. When we were little, um, it was a Saturday morning, I'll never forget it, um, we liked to play with my dad's tools, okay? We would go and we would work on our bikes with them or stuff. And one particular Saturday morning, me and my brother were just getting up. We're walking around in the house in our underwear. You know what I mean? Boys will be boys. And my dad walks in the house, has a 7 sixteenths inch wrench in his hand. Now, the reason why I know that is because of this moment. And it seems like the 7 sixteenths is the wrench that's never in my personal toolbox. I don't know why. And so he walks in, he sets the wrench on the table, and uh, he says, found that in the yard, and then he walks back out. We, he didn't have to say anything else. He, he obviously does not leave his own personal tools in the yard. So it was either me or my brother, Dennis, that did it, right? And I remember, I remember yesterday, Friday night, we were both working on our bikes, and I handed you the 7 16th inch wrench, Dennis. And he said, no, you were the last one to use it. You should have put it back. And I said, no, 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 no. I handed it to you. You should have put it back. He's like, no. And so we go back and forth like two brothers do. And I'm like, I can take you to the place where dad found it. And so we both jump up. We storm out the front door. And I'm standing in the yard. And I'm like, it was right here. And he's like, I know, and I handed it back to you. And about this time, I look down and I notice that Dennis is standing in our front yard in his underwear, right? And back in my day, we didn't have these cool little boxers that, you know, all the guys are wearing now. We were wearing tidy whities okay? That's just what we wore. There's no mistaking. We are definitely, okay, he's definitely in his underwear. And I go, ah, you're in your underwear. And he looks at me and says, so are you. And I look down and I'm like, oh dear God, you know what I mean? And about this time, you know, we look around and all the neighbors are out in their front yard, watering their yards, them rains boys, you know what I mean? And it was just such a moment of embarrassment. Have you ever had a dream where you woke up, well, in the dream you're naked? For me, every time I, I had one of these weird dreams, I was always at school. You know what I mean? I'm sitting in my desk, the teacher's teaching. I look down and I'm like, oh dear God, I'm naked. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know what 
to do in this moment. And for all of you people who have some psychological need to find the meaning of dreams, I don't care. All right? Don't tell me. Well, you know, Pastor, what that means is, okay, I don't care. But this happened to Adam and Eve for real. They had this moment where they they realized they were naked. They felt exposed. Have you ever had uh, thought about this? Human beings are the only creation, the only creature in all of creation that knows what it means to be naked. Your psycho cat does not care if it's naked or not. Your dog does not care. Zoo monkeys definitely don't care that they're walking around naked. But human beings, we feel like we should be wearing something, right? We feel like at least naked means something's missing. At least if I'm wearing clothes, I can kind of adjust myself. You know, I can put my hands in my pocket, okay? But all of us are hardwired this way. From an early age, we start to realize that we, in our birthday suit, are simply not enough. Every other creature in all of creation, you're good, you're good, you should put on some clothes, right? That's the way we feel. What does it do to a person to live your life that you, you in and of yourself, feel like you're just not enough? Well, it all began in the garden. They sewed fig leaves together where they got a sewing machine and thread. I have no idea. But this is what we do. We make coverings for ourselves. This is how we live. We all wear a mask. I I thought about, man, it would be really great if I had one of those Nixon, you know, masks, President Nixon mask that everybody uses during a bank bank robbery. He's got his big cheesy smile, you know what I mean? Because that's what we do. We put on a mask that everything's okay. We put on a mask that's smiling. We don't want people to have access on what's really going on on the inside of us, so we cover it up. It makes marriage more difficult, doesn't it? It makes relationship with our kids a lot more difficult. Life at work, it makes everything more difficult, including our relationship with our Heavenly Father, which is exactly how we feel with God. I don't, I don't want to let you into every part of my life because I don't want you to see it all. And I'm afraid you won't like what you see if you see every part of me. And it's fear that's driving all of this. If you knew who I really was, you wouldn't like me. It happens all the time at church. If you knew I had an abortion, um, if you knew I struggle with the thoughts of, of people my own gender, if you, knew that, if you knew the images I looked at late at night, you wouldn't want me here, pastor. That's just not true. That's just not true. We want everybody to come and experience the presence of God. Amen? If you knew how I treated my kids, if you knew how I treated my wife, if you knew the thoughts that I wrestle with, this is what we feel like. If we would ever be vulnerable enough to really share what we're feeling, to show who we really are, to let people see behind the persona, we fear that people wouldn't like us. 
That's what we think. And most of us, if we're going to be completely honest, we think that God doesn't really like us. And this is what keeps a lot of people from coming to church. We feel like God is dissatisfied with us. He doesn't like us. He would rather us just not be here. Just go someplace else. So that's what we do. When in, really, when in reality, God is like, come, come be with me. Genesis 3, verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden, which leads me to my second thought. Whenever we feel exposed, what do we do? We hide. We hide. And really, there's three ways that we hide. Three different distinct ways. The first one is we deny that there's even a problem. And that's how come we have to have interventions. It's because we're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't have a problem. No, I, I just... I. I take, the, I take the pain meds because whatever. You know what I mean? The doctor said I should probably take one, and I take two because one doesn't work anymore, or, or three or four, and, and now we've got to have interventions. We, we, um, we just keep ourselves busy. This is why we're so busy. It's easier to be busy than it is to face what it is that's making us feel the way we feel. Another way we hide is we deflect. We, we feel the attention coming on us, so we deflect it off onto someone else, don't we? Deflect, is, it's how we compare ourselves to other people. Why do I feel this way? I mean, I, I, I have a few pounds to lose, but at least I'm not that bad. Are you with me? Yeah, I may not be wealthy, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad. This is, this is what drives gossip. We, we, we deflect our own pain, and it gets the spotlight off of us and onto other people. We look at their house. We look at their car. We look at their wife or their husband or their kids, and we're comparing their life to our own. And it's a way of saying either I wish I had that or at least I would never do that. Does this make sense, friends? We deflect to get the attention off of us. And the last thing we do is we detonate. And detonate is a way of, of hiding. It's this fight or flight thing. Some, you would prefer to run and hide, but others, you come out swinging. For me, you want to see me at my worst? Embarrass me. You embarrass me in front of people, you'll see me at my worst. And I'm better at this now than I used to be. I, I, I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. <laughs> we were headed into town, and it's about a 20-minute drive into town from our home. And um, I'm listening to 80s rock, okay? So I am rocking out in the, in the front seat of our truck. And it's just me and Tyra. And I, there comes in, in any classic 80s song, there's always the guitar riff, you know what I mean, where the guitar guy just starts just just winging it out there for a good, I don't know, minute and a half. And so I've been playing air guitar since I was three years old, and I could play air guitar. I'd play you all to shame. I've always got it. It's right here on my back right now. See? There it is. You know what I mean? And so, and so I'm going down the road. It gets to this part in this song, and my knee just very so slightly goes up and grabs the steering wheel so we don't run off the road. And then lo and behold, whoop, this air guitar comes out, and I just start on this thing, you know what I mean, during the song, and I am shrieking 
shredding on this air guitar. And I'm because I am I am in the moment. Well, lo and behold, Tyra had her phone ready to go, right? Hits record on her phone and just records the whole jam session. Because it goes from air guitar to, to, to drums, you know what I mean? And I'm not as good as an air drummer as I am an air guitarist, okay? And so I start slamming the cymbals, you know what I mean? And boom, boom, boom. All carefully driving with my knee, okay? We were safe. Well, we're on our way to Chili's in town, and we, we, we stop, and we're, we're having, we're having uh, a dinner. And, and, and I asked her, I, I saw her recording me, and I'm like, what did the kids say about that? And she's like, well, I didn't post that to the kids. I, I posted it on my story. Oh, so what you're saying is the entire world saw Pastor Darian not only rocking out, but to 80s rock. You know what I mean? I'm like, I've got a reputation to uphold. And so she, in that moment, she embarrassed the snot out of me. And friends, I'm not proud of it, but it got ugly. I may have overreacted a little, all right? I made her pull the video down, and, I, and she's like, no, our people need to see this side of you. And I was afraid that you wouldn't like that side of me. Do you know how many people last service asked to see the video? It doesn't exist. Moving right along, all right? We live our lives comparing ourselves to other people. Or who are we trying to prove our lives to? Is it a parent? I mean, some of us, we're still trying to live up to some image. Man, your parents could have passed away, but you're still trying. Is it a coach? Is there a teacher from your past that you're, you're trying to live up this way to? Or could it be a promise that you made yourself? I'll never be like that. And so now we are, we're either denying, deflecting, or detonating to keep that image up. We're tr- who are you trying to prove yourself to? Listen to this statement. We don't take risks because we're afraid of failing. We don't take risks because we're afraid of looking like a failure. Does that make sense, friends? We're much more afraid of being seen as a failure than actually failing. What was GE's slogan back in the 70s or something like that, 80s? Celebrating noble failures. In other words, we know we're going to make mistakes, but that's not going to stop us from trying. But so so many of us, we're afraid of looking like a failure that we just won't risk it. Not because we're afraid to fail, but because we're afraid of being seen as a failure. God wants to do something in your life, but as long as we see ourselves as worthless, it won't happen. And it's interesting because as we read this story here, Adam and Eve in the garden, they ate the wrong fruit. All of a sudden, they realize they're naked. They're shameful. They hide. They try to cover their nakedness. God comes down in the cool of the evening, 
and he asks them two questions. He can't find them, first of all. And, of course, we know, he know he's God, so he knows exactly where they are. They're hiding behind some bush. God says this in verse 9. The Lord God called to man, where are you? I think God was in this moment because he could see him shaking behind some little bush there in fear. He sees him, but he's given just like a parent would. Giving him an opportunity to come forward. Giving him an opportunity just to identify with where they are. Where are you? And I think for so many of us, we need to ask the same question. Where are we really? Is there somebody in your life that knows where you are emotionally, physically, spiritually? Is there somebody in your world that has all access to you? And I'm not talking about the you you want them to see. I'm talking about the real you. God says, where are you? The second question, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. God asked the second question, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Who told you that you're not enough? Who's telling you this? When you stand and you look in the mirror and you see all of your flaws, when you lay in bed at night and think about all your doubts and all of these fears, why do you feel that way? Who's telling you you're not enough? Because it sure ain't God. Last Thursday, I finished up a life group series that we're going to be launching in September as a church, but I'm taking a, a group of guys through it early because I wanted to see how it would go. Tyra took a group of ladies through it. It's simply called freedom. Living in freedom every day. Freedom. And I sat in my living room on Thursday nights with about seven guys. Eight, counting myself. And we got gut level real with each other. And to get guys to do that is a huge, huge thing. They got gut level honest with me. With each other and with our Heavenly Father. And some of these, I mean, it took us a little bit to, to, to strike oil, but once I struck oil, some of the craziest things came up. Guys that you would look at and you would think they're successful, you think they're secure, you think they have everything going for them, their family's great, their marriages are great, and they would begin to tell me things like, I don't feel like I'm loved. I don't feel like I'll ever be successful. I don't feel like I have what it takes. And I stopped him right down, right then, and I said, who told you that? What? No, someone told you that. That's why you believe that. Because that's not what God says about you. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you success. God says, I love you unconditionally. So someone in your past has told you, you're not worthy of love. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never, you're not like the other children. Someone has said it. 
And so in this moment, man, you felt the presence of God just sit down in that room. You know what most of them said? It was a dad. It was a father. When they were little. Said something, and I'm sure these dads did not mean it. But the way they took it changed their lives. Not forever, but up until this freedom moment. Or some of them, it was a mother. Some of them, it was a voice of influence that looked at them one day and in passing said, you're not good enough. And I just took them all the way back. And we had this encounter in the presence of God and they heard their heavenly father say, I think you're good enough. I think you're worthy. I think you deserve the best. Who told you you weren't worthy of love? That you're not good enough, that you'll never amount to anything because it wasn't God. And here's what I've realized in Mays County, it's weird. I'm not saying we're like number one in the nation, but there's an image issue here where we're constantly comparing ourselves with other people. And we've, on, we've got to constantly try to be something we're not. Why? Why? Why do we do that? Can, here's a side thought. Can I ask you a question? Why is it that in our culture, we celebrate when we see other people fail? That guy got the promotion instead of you, and then he, he botched the job, and we're like, see, they should have picked me. They got a new car and then ran it off the road by accident because they hydroplaned and it hit a tree. Ha, sucker. Why do we do that? What's on the inside of us that we celebrate when other people fail? Someone else got the promotion instead of you. Someone else gets the deal inside of, instead of you. The ultimate, it's the ultimate result of comparison. And here's the interesting thing. When I read this story about Adam and Eve, it's not God telling them they were naked. It's not God pointing to their flaws. It's not God going, "Uh uh-huh, I knew you couldn't do it. He said, who told you that? Because that's not the way I see You know the way God sees you? It's in his word, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates. He doesn't just tell you. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you didn't deserve his love, he he still died for you. And some people are like, no, I'm just kind of part of the package deal. He did that for all of humanity. True. But if it was just you walking the planet, he would have done it for you because he loves you. He sees you worth paying the ultimate sacrifice for, even when you didn't even know him or love him. Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then I like how this goes on. Verse 38 
For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, there is nothing you can even do to make God stop loving you. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3 over your life and let these words minister to your heart. Paul's praying a prayer for the church at Ephesus, and really it's a prayer for all Christians, all believers. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So you imagine the great apostle Paul kneeling before God, praying these prayers. I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, your inside, how you see yourself, how you see God. I pray that that's strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp this. In other words, the only way you'll completely, 100% grasp this is to know who you are in Christ. Is to be rooted in the fact that my God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He's not temperamental. He's not like your father was, your mother was. Influential voices in your life. He doesn't treat you the same. He loves you unconditionally. And if you could just get that, then the Bible says you would grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. If you think about it, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks of you. I've always said it this way. For me, I know if I'm right with God, and I am, and I'm right with my wife, I'm good. If I'm good with God and I'm good with my wife, I'm good. Who's telling you you're not good enough? Go back. Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you that you'll never amount to much? Who told you that you would never succeed? Who's telling you you're not a good dad, a good husband, a good wife, a good mother? And some of you are like, well, Pastor, look at my track record. I think the track record speaks for itself. I, I, I suck at this. No, 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 no. That was before you found out who you are. This is why we give people second, third, fourth, 50th chances at your place, church. Because as we find out who we are in Christ... The old is, is gone. The new becomes real to us. Does this make sense, friends? God is saying, I love you unconditionally, and you can't escape it. I know the plans that I have for you, and they are for success. Who's telling you you're naked? Because it's not God. 
Stop trying to hide the real you from other people, from God. Stop trying to prove yourself to people who really just don't matter. Who is the real you? Who told you that you're anything but what God is telling you? You are. Let me pray for you. Father, as I look around this room, I don't see people who are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. I see a room full of people who were children once. And there's been voices, influential voices that we looked up to who said some very mean and hurtful things to us. Fathers, we just pause right here. We take a few seconds. Father, I pray that you take them back to that moment. Take them back to when those words were spoken over them. And for some of us, Father God, we've blocked it away as a, as a, as a survival mechanism. We've, we've, we've hid it away. Some of us, if we're going to be honest, Father, it's been years since we've thought of this moment. But in light of your word today and what we've believed about ourselves, God, we see that this has actually changed who we are, how we lived, how we've raised our kids, how we treat our friends, how we live our life. Because of words that you never said to us, but somebody else said, and we believed the lie. Because that's what it is. So, Father, I pray that you take us back. And, God, in that moment, as those words are coming out, you stop the words and you tell us who you say we are. When that, when that mother or that father said, you'll never be loved, you say, I love you unconditionally. When, when they said, you'll never be successful, you tell them, I see your success because I'm already living in your future. And you do great. You'll be great. You'll trust me. You'll get there. Trust me. When they said mean and hurtful things, Father, you were there in that moment. And some of us didn't know how to listen to you, but you were right there picking us up saying, don't believe it. It's a lie. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord God. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. God, let us, let us live on those words and see ourselves who you see us being. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.